Welcome everyone to the daily readings of Srila Prabhupada's books here at the live studios in Govardhan, Iskan Bhaktivedanta Ashram in Govardhan, where we're doing our yearly Kartik Vrat, and this is how many years? The 18th year running without, well, consecutive, 18 years. No, that's that's not a small thing. Um, It's not nothing. Not nothing. So welcome all of you out there in cyberspace from wherever you are. Before we begin the readings of the 10th Canto Srimad Bhagavatam in the form of Srila Prabhupada's masterpiece summary of the 10th canto, the Krishna book, Krishna, the Supreme. Yusha Sarva Vedaika Satpala Sarva Siddhanta Ratnaja Sarva Lokaika Drik Prada. O nectar from the ocean of all scriptures, singular fruit of all the Vedas, rich mine of the precious gems of all conclusive truths. You are the only giver of sight to all the worlds. Sarva Bhagavata Prana, Srimad Bhagavata Prabho, Kali Ditya, Sri Krishna Parivartita. O life heir of all the Supreme Lord's devotees, O Master Srimad Bhagavatam, you are the sun risen in the darkness of Kali. You are the exact image of Sri Krishna. Parama me always appear in my heart and my voice with pure love. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Today we're reading chapter 28, we're fasting for the whole day, and just early in the morning of the next day, Dwadashi, he went to take a bath in the river Yamuna. He entered deep into the water of the river, but he was arrested immediately by one of the servants of Varunadev. This servant brought Nanda Maharaj before the demigod Varuna and accused him of taking a bath in the river at the wrong time. According to astronomical calculations, the time in which he took a bath was considered demoniac. The fact was that Nanda Maharaj wanted to take a bath in the river Yamuna early in the morning before the sun rose. As I look at you, my life is made completely successful because by seeing you, I no longer have to accept a material body. Therefore, O Lord, Supreme Personality of Godhead, Supreme Brahman, and Super Soul of everything, let me offer my respectful obeisances unto you, who are the Supreme Transcendental Personality. There is no possibility of imposing the influence of material nature upon you. I am very sorry that my foolish man Actually, although Krishna was acting so wonderfully, 
Maharaj Nanda and Mother Yashoda could not think of him as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Instead, they always accepted him as their beloved child. Thus, Nanda Maharaj did not accept the fact that Varuna worshipped Krishna because he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Rather, he took it that because Krishna was such a wonderful child, always very kind to every conditioned soul. But, as stated in the Bhagavad Gita, he is especially inclined to the pure devotees. Hearing their inquiries, Krishna immediately thought that his devotees in Vrindavan should be informed of the spiritual sky and the Vaikuntha planets therein. <clears throat> Within the material world, every conditioned soul is in the darkness of ignorance. This means that, every, that all conditioned souls are under the concept of bodily existence. Everyone is under the impression that he is of this material world. And with this concept of life, everyone is working in ignorance in different forms of life. The activities of the particular pipe of body. Chapter 29, the Rasa Dance Introduction. It is stated that the Rasa Dance took place on the full moon night of the Sharat season. From the statements of previous chapters, it appears that the festival of Govardhana Puja was performed just after the dark moon night of the month of Kartik. And thereafter, the ceremony of Bratri Dvitiya was performed. Then the wrath of Indra was exhibited in the shape of torrents of rain and hailstorms, torrents of rain and hailstones, and Lord Krishna held up Govardhan Hill for seven days until the ninth day of the moon. Thereafter, on the tenth day, the inhabitants of Vrindavana were talking amongst themselves about the wonderful activities of Krishna, and the next day, Akadashi was observed by Nanda Maharaj. On the next day, Dodashi, Dwadashi, Nanda Maharaj went to take a bath in the Ganges and was arrested by one of the men of Varuna. Then he was released by Lord Krishna. Then Nanda Maharaj, along with the coward men, was shown the spiritual sky. In this way, the full moon night of the Sharat season came to an end. The full moon night of Ashmina is called Sharat Punima. It appears from the statements of Srimad Bhagavatam that Krishna had to wait another year for such a moon before enjoying the Rasa dance with the gopis. At the age of seven years, he lifted Govardhan Hill. Therefore, the Rasa dance took place during his eighth year. From the Vedic literature, it appears that when a theatrical actor dances among many dancing girls, the group dance is called a rasa dance. When Krishna saw the full moon night of the Shrut season, decorated with various seasonal flowers, especially the Malika flowers, which are very fragrant, he remembered the gopis' prayers to goddess Katyayani, wherein they prayed for Krishna to be their husband. He thought that the full moon night of the Shrut season was just suitable for a nice dance. So their desire to have Krishna as their husband would then be fulfilled. The words used in this connection in Srimad Bhagavatam are Bhagavan Api. This means that although Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and thus has no desire that needs to be fulfilled, 
because he is always full with six opulences, he still wanted to enjoy the company of the gopis in the rasa dance. Bhagavan, Api, signifies that this dance is not like the ordinary dancing of young boys and young girls. The, spef the specific words used in Srimad Bhagavatam are yogamayam upashita, which mean that this dancing with the gopis is on the platform of yogamaya, not mahamaya. The dancing of young boys and girls within the material world is in the kingdom of mahamaya or the external energy. The rasa dance of Krishna with the gopis is on the platform of yogamaya. The difference between the platforms of yogamaya and mahamaya is compared in the Chaitanya Chartamrita to the difference between gold and iron. From the viewpoint of metallurgy, gold and iron are both metals, but the quality is completely different. Similarly, although the rasa dance and Lord Krishna's association with the gopis appear like the ordinary mixing of young boys and girls, the quality is completely different. The difference is appreciated by great Vaishnavas because they can understand the difference between love of Krishna and lust. On the Mahamaya platform, dances take place on the basis of sense gratification. But when Krishna called the gopis by sounding his flute, they very hurriedly rushed toward the spot of the rasa dance with the transcendental desire to satisfy Krishna. The author of Chaitanya Charitamrita, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, has explained that lust means sense gratification and love also means sense gratification, but for Krishna. In other words, when activities are enacted on the platform of personal sense gratification, they are called material activities, but when they are enacted for the satisfaction of Krishna, they are spiritual activities. On any platform of activities, the principle of sense gratification is there. But on the spiritual platform, sense gratification is for the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, whereas on the material platform, it is for the performer. For example, on the material platform, when a servant serves a master, he is trying to satisfy not the senses of his master, but rather his own senses. The servant would not serve the master if the payment stopped. That means that the servant engages himself in the service of the master just to satisfy his own senses. On the spiritual platform, however, the servitor of the Supreme Personality of God had serves Krishna without payment, and he continues his service in all conditions. That is the difference between Krishna consciousness and material consciousness. As mentioned above, it appears that Krishna enjoyed the rasa dance with the gopis when he was eight years old. At that time, many of the gopis were married, because in India, especially in those days, girls were married at a very early age. There are even many instances of a girl's giving birth to a child at the age of 12. Under the circumstances, all the gopis who wanted to have Krishna as their husband were already married. At the same time, they continued to hope that Krishna would be their husband. Their attitude toward Krishna was that of paramour love. Therefore, the loving affairs of Krishna with the gopis are called parakya rasa. The attitude of a married man who desires another wife or a wife who desires another husband is called parakya rasa. Actually, Krishna is the husband of everyone because he is the supreme enjoyer. The gopis wanted Krishna to be their husband, but factually, there was no possibility of his marrying all the gopis. 
but because they had that natural tendency to accept Krishna as their supreme husband. The relationship between the gopis and Krishna is called Parakya Rasa. This Parakya Rasa is ever-existent in Gogloka Vrindavan, in the spiritual sky, where there is no possibility of inebriety which characterizes Parakya Rasa in the material world. In the material world, Parakya Rasa is abominable, whereas in the spiritual world it is present in the super-excellent relationship of Krishna and the gopis. There are many relationships with Krishna, master and servant, friend and friend, parent and son, and lover and beloved. Of all these rasas, the Parakya Rasa is considered to be the topmost. <clears throat> this material world is the perverted reflection of the spiritual world. It is just like the reflection of a tree on the bank of a reservoir of water. The topmost part of the tree is seen as the lower part. The topmost part of a tree is seen as the lowest part. Similarly, Parakya Rasa, when pervertedly reflected in this material world, is most abominable. Therefore, when people imitate the rasa dance of Krishna with the gopis, they simply enjoy the perverted, abominable reflection of the transcendental Parikya Rasa. There is no possibility of enjoying this transcendental Parikya Rasa within the material world. It is stated in Srimad Bhagavatam that one should not imitate this Parikya Rasa even in dream or imagination. Those who do so drink the most deadly poison. When Krishna, the supreme enjoyer, desired to enjoy the company of the gopis on that full moon night of the Sharat season, exactly at that very moment, the moon, the lord of the stars, appeared in the sky, displaying its most beautiful features. The full moon night of the Sharat season is the most beautiful night in the year. In the Indian city of Agra in Uttar Pradesh province, there is a great monument called the Taj Mahal, which is a tomb made of first-class marble stone. During the night of the full moon of the Sharat season, many foreigners go to see the beautiful reflections of the moon on the tomb. Thus, this full moon night is celebrated, even today, for its beauty. When the full moon rose in the east, it tinged everything with a reddish color. With the rising of the moon, the whole sky appeared smeared with red kumkum. When a husband, long separated from his wife, returns home, he decorates the face of his wife with red kumkum. This long-expected moonrise of the short season was thus smearing the eastern sky. The appearance of the moon increased Krishna's desire to dance with the gopis. The forests were filled with fragrant flowers. The atmosphere was cooling and festive. When Lord Krishna began to blow his flute, the gopis all over Vrindavan became enchanted. Their attraction to the vibration of the flute increased a thousand times due to the rising full moon, the red horizon, the calm and cool atmosphere, and the blossoming flowers. All the gopis were by nature very much attracted to Krishna's beauty, and when they heard the vibration of his flute, they became apparently lustful to satisfy the senses of Krishna. Immediately upon hearing the vibration of the flute, they all left their respective engagements and proceeded to the spot where Krishna was standing. While they ran very swiftly, <clears throat> their earrings swung back and forth. They all rushed toward the place known as Bangshivat. 
Some of them were engaged in milking cows, but they left their milking business half finished and immediately went to Krishna. One of them had just collected milk and put it in a milk pan on the stove to boil, but she did not care whether the milk overboiled and spilled. She immediately left to go see Krishna. Some of them were breastfeeding their small babies, and some were engaged in distributing food to the members of their families. But they left all such engagements and immediately rushed toward the spot where Krishna was playing his flute. Some were engaged in serving their husbands, and some were themselves engaged in eating, but caring neither to serve their husbands nor eat. They immediately left. Some of them wanted to decorate their faces with cosmetic ointments and to dress themselves very nicely before going to Krishna. <clears throat> but unfortunately, <clears throat> they could not finish their cosmetic, de cosmetic decorations or put on their clothes in the right way because of their anxiety to meet Krishna immediately. Their faces were decorated hurriedly and were haphazardly finished. Some even put the lower part of their clothes on the upper part of their bodies and the upper part on the lower part. While all the gopis were hurriedly leaving their respective places, their husbands, brothers and fathers <clears throat> were all struck with wonder to know where they were going. Being young girls, they were protected either by husbands, elder brothers or fathers. All their guardians forbade them to go to Krishna, but they disregarded them. When a person becomes attracted by Krishna and is in full Krishna consciousness, he does not care for any worldly duties, even though very urgent. Krishna consciousness is so powerful that it gives everyone relief from all material activities. Srila Rupa Goswami has written a very nice verse wherein one gopi advises another, <clears throat> My dear friend, if you desire to enjoy the company of material, society, friendship and love, then please do not go to see that smiling boy Govinda who is standing on the bank of the Yamuna and playing his flute his lips brightened by the beams of the full moonlight. Srila Rupa Goswami indirectly instructs that, those who has, who, that one who has been captivated by the beauty, beautiful smiling face of Krishna has lost all attraction for material enjoyments. This is the test of advancement in Krishna consciousness. A person advancing in Krishna consciousness must lose interest in material activities and personal sense gratification. Some of the gopis were factually detained from going to Krishna by their husbands and were locked up by force within their rooms. Being unable to go to Krishna, they began to meditate upon his transcendental form by closing their eyes. <clears throat> they already had the form of Krishna within their minds. They proved to be the greatest yogis as stated in the Bhagavad Gita, a person who is constantly thinking of Krishna within his heart and with faith and love is considered to be the topmost of all yogis. Actually, a yogi concentrates his mind on the form of Lord Vishnu. That is real yoga. 
Krishna is the original form of all Vishnu tattvas. The gopis who could not personally go to Krishna began to meditate upon him as per perfect yogis. In the conditioned stage of the living entities, there are two kinds of results of fruitive activities. The conditioned living entity who is constantly engaged in sinful activities has suffering as his result, and he who is engaged in pious activities has material enjoyment as, as a result. <clears throat> in either case, material suffering or material enjoyment, the sufferer or enjoyer is conditioned by material nature. The gopi associates of Krishna who assembled in the place where Krishna was appearing were from different groups. Most of the gopis were eternal companions of Krishna. As stated in the Brahma Sangita, Ananda Chinmayarasa Pratibhavita Bihi. In the spiritual world, the associates of Krishna, especially the gopis, are manifestations of the pleasure potency of Lord Krishna. They are expansions of Srimati Radharani. But when Krishna exhibits his transcendental pastimes within the material world, in some of the universes, not only the eternal associates of Krishna come, but also those who are being promoted to that status from this material world. So some of the gopis who joined Krishna's pastimes within this material world were coming from the status of ordinary human beings. If they had been bound by fruitive action, they were fully freed from the reactions of karma by constant meditation on Krishna. Their severely painful yearnings caused by their not being able to see Krishna freed them from all sinful reactions and their ecstasy of transcendental love for Krishna in his absence ended all their reactions to material pious activities. The conditioned soul is subjected to birth and death, either by pious or sinful activities. But the gopis who began to meditate on Krishna transcended both positions and became purified and thus elevated to the status of the gopis already expanded by his pleasure potency. All the gopis who concentrated their minds on Krishna in the spirit of paramore love <clears throat> became fully purified <clears throat> of all the fruitive reactions of material nature. And some of them immediately gave up their material bodies, developed under the three modes of material nature. Maharaj Parikshit heard Shukadeva Goswami explain the situation of the gopis who assembled with Krishna in the rasa dance. When they heard that some of the gopis, simply by concentrating on Krishna, as their paramour, became freed from all contamination of material birth and death, he said, the gopis did not know that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. They accepted him as a beautiful boy and considered him to be their paramour. So how was, how was it possible for them to get freed from the material condition just by thinking of a paramour? One should consider here that Krishna and ordinary living beings are qualitatively one. The ordinary living beings being part and parcel of Krishna are also Brahman, but Krishna is the supreme, Parabrahman. 
The question is, if it is possible for a devotee to get free from the material contaminated stage simply by thinking of Krishna, then why should this not be possible for others who are also thinking of, some, of, thinking of someone? If one is thinking of a husband or son, or of anyone at all, is thinking of another living entity, then since all living entities are also Brahman, why are all those why are all those who thus think of others not freed from the contaminated stage of material nature? This is a very intelligent question. Because there are always atheists imitating Krishna. <clears throat> In these days of Kali Yuga, there are many rascals who think themselves to be as good as Krishna and who cheat people into believing that thinking of them is as good as thinking of Lord Krishna. Prikshit Maharaj apprehended the future dangerous condition of blind followers of demoniac imitators, therefore asked this question. And fortunately it is recorded in Srimad Bhagavatam to warn innocent people that thinking of an ordinary man and thinking of Krishna are not the same. Actually, even thinking of the demigods cannot compare with thinking of Krishna. It is warned in the Vaishnava Tantra that one who puts Vishnu, Narayana, or Krishna on the same level as the demigods is called a Pashandi, or rascal. On hearing this question from Maharaj Pariksit, Shukadeva Goswami replied, My dear king, your question is already answered even before this incident. Because Prikshit Maharaj wanted to clear up, clear up the situation, his spiritual master answered him very intelligently, Why are you again asking about the same subject matter which has already been explained to you? Why are you so forgetful? A spiritual master is always in the superior position, so he has the right to chastise his disciple in this way. Shukadeva Goswami knew that Maharaj Prikshit asked the question not for his own understanding, but as a warning to the future innocent people who might think others to be equal to Krishna. Shukadeva Goswami then reminded Prikshit Maharaj about the salvation of Shishupal. Shishupal was always envious of Krishna, and because of his envy, Krishna killed him. But since Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Shishupal gained salvation simply by seeing him. If an envious person can get salvation simply by concentrating his mind on Krishna, then what to speak of the gopis who are so dear to Krishna and always think of him in love? There must be some difference between the enemies and the friends. If Krishna's enemies could get freed from material contamination and become one with the Supreme, then certainly his dear friends like the gopis can achieve such freedom and much more. <clears throat> Besides that, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is called Rishikesha. Shukadeva Goswami also said that Krishna is Rishikesha, the super soul, whereas an ordinary man is a conditioned soul covered by the material body Krishna and Krishna's body are the same because he is Rishikesha. Any person making a distinction 
between Krishna and Krishna's body is fool number one. Krishna is Rishikesha and Adhoksaja. These two particular words have been used by Shukadeva Goswami in this instance. Rishikesha is the Supersoul and Adhoksaja is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, transcendental to the material nature. Just to show favor to the ordinary living entities, out of his causeless mercy, he appears as he is. Unfortunately, foolish persons mistake him to be an ordinary person, and so they become eligible to go to hell. Shukadeva Goswami <clears throat> continued to inform Maharaj Prikshit that Krishna is not an ordinary person, but rather the Supreme Personality of Godhead, imperishable, immeasurable, and without any material qualities, but full of all spiritual qualities. He appears in this material world out of his causeless mercy, and whenever he appears, he appears as he is, without change. This is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita, where the Lord says that he appears by his spiritual potency. He does not appear under the control of the material potency. The material potency is under his control. In the Bhagavad Gita, it is stated that the material potency is working under his superintendence. It is also confirmed in the Brahman Sanghita that the material potency known as Durga is acting just like a shadow of the substance. The conclusion is that if one somehow or other becomes attached to Krishna or attached or attracted to him, either because of his qualities of beauty, opulence, fame, strength, renunciation or knowledge, through affection or friendship, or even through lust, anger or fear, then one's salvation and freedom from material contamination are assured. In the Bhagavad Gita, 18th chapter, the Lord states that one who is engaged in preaching Krishna consciousness is very dear to him. A preacher has to face many difficulties in his struggle to preach pure Krishna consciousness. Sometimes he has to suffer bodily injuries and sometimes he has to meet death also. All this is taken as a great austerity on behalf of Krishna. Krishna therefore has said that such a preacher is very, very dear to him. If Krishna's enemies can expect salvation simply by concentrating their minds on him, then what to speak of persons who are so dear to Krishna? The conclusion should be that the salvation of those who are engaged in preaching Krishna consciousness in the world is guaranteed in all circumstances. But such preachers never care for salvation because factually one who is engaged in Krishna consciousness, devotional service, has already achieved salvation. Shukadeva Goswami therefore assured King Prikshit that he should always rest assured that one who is attracted by Krishna attains liberation from material bondage because Krishna is the transcendental master of all mystic power. Havi Prabhu, would you like to say a few words about that? About the preacher being so dear? The preacher is very dear. Uh, Krishna loves his partner partners. <clears throat> he can see, he can feel. Sometimes things that God doesn't feel, doesn't see. He sees and thinks. And by seeing so many of his parts and parcels on a personal 
in a personal relationship lost in the waves of uh, material world suffering he makes the arrangements to bring them back and uh, those who take that task of preaching going out and uh, <coughs> bringing the general populace to back back home uh, they're so dear because they're actually uh, anga, they're an uh, extension of Krishna and his desire. That's the highest form of, uh, of love between Krishna and his devotees. Thank you, Hari Prabhu. Yadav Prabhu, do you want to say something about Sadhu, what Sadhu. you observed in Srila Prabhupada's mood about encouraging preaching when you were around him? <coughs> Did he encourage preaching very much? There <laughs> were <laughs> many times as you had audiences with his Georgetown when the book distributed. There's many stories about that. Actually, one time, uh, I remember in, in France, Prophet, uh, he was introduced to the book distributors. And then he had, at the end, he asked them, Are you reading my book? And one boy said, one distributor said, you don't have time. The problem was very hurt by that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he, he didn't say anything, but one boy who was very close to him, he said, this is in our problem, he, 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 he heard probably go, uh, probably didn't say anything, but he was very, he was very hurt. Do you remember what year that was, Prabhu? It was in, it was in uh, New Life. 94? Hmm? Was it 94? I mean 74? 74. When Prabhupada visited New Life, I'm not sure. I think it was 74. Hmm? Right Prabhupada, yeah, you can always encourage <clears throat>
My dear friends, you must know that it is the dead of night and the forest is very dangerous. At this time, all the ferocious jungle animals, the tigers, bears, jackals, and wolves are prowling in the forest. Therefore, it is very dangerous for you. You cannot select a secure place now. Everything, everywhere you go, you will find that all these animals are loitering to find their prey. I think, therefore, you are taking a great risk in coming here in the dead of night. Please turn back immediately without delay. When he saw that they continued to smile, he said, I very much appreciate your bodily features. All of you have, very ni have nice, very thin waists. All the gopis there were exquisitely beautiful. They are described by the words, Samadhyana, uh, Samadhyama, Samadhyama, Samadhyama. Samadhyama. <clears throat> the standard of beauty of a woman is said to be Samadhyama, when the middle portion of the body is slender. Krishna wanted to impress on them that they were not old enough to take care of themselves. Actually, they required protection. It was not very wise for them to come in the dead of night to Krishna. Krishna also indicated that he was young and they were young girls. It does not look well, very well for young girls and boys to remain together in the dead of night. After hearing this advice, the gopis did not seem very happy. Therefore, Krishna began to stress the point in a different way. <clears throat> My dear friends, I can understand that you have left your homes without the permission of your guardians. Therefore, I think your mothers, your fathers, your elder brothers, and even your sons, and what to speak of your husbands, must be very anxious to find you. As long as you are here, they must be searching in different places, and their minds must be very agitated. So don't tarry. Please go back and make them peaceful. When the gopis appeared to be a little bit disturbed and angry from hearing the free advice of Krishna, they diverted their attention to looking at the beauty of the forest. At that time, the whole forest was illuminated by the bright shining of the moon, and the air was blowing very silently over the blooming flowers, and the green leaves of the trees were moving the breeze. Krishna took the opportunity of their looking at the forest <clears throat> to advise them. I think you have come out here to see the beautiful Vrindavan forest on this night, he said. But you must now be satisfied. So return to your homes without delay. I understand that you are all very chaste women. So now that you have seen the beautiful atmosphere of the Vrindavan forest, please return home and engage in the faithful servant of your respective husbands. Some of you must have babies by this time, although you are very young. You must have left your small babies at home and they must be crying. Please, immediately go back home and just feed them with your breast milk. I can also understand that you have, been, that you have great affection, very great affection for me and out of that transcendental affection you have come here hearing my playing on the flute. Your feelings of love and affection for me are very appropriate because I am the Supreme Personality of Godhead. All living creatures are my parts and parcels. 
and naturally they are affectionate to me. So this affection for me is very welcome and I congratulate you for this. Now you can go back home to your homes. Another thing I must explain to you is that for a chaste woman, service to the husband without duplicity is the best religious principle. Not only, not only should a woman be faithful and chaste to her husband, but she should also be affectionate to the friends of her husband, obedient to the father and mother of her husband, and affectionate to the younger brothers of her husband. And most importantly, a woman must take care of her children. In this way, Krishna explained the duty of a woman. She al he also stressed the point <clears throat> of serving the husband. <clears throat> even if he is not of a very good character, or even if he is not very rich or fortunate, or even if he is old or invalid on account of continued diseases, whatever her husband's condition, a woman should not divorce her husband if she actually desires to be elevated to the higher planetary systems after leaving this body. Besides that, it is considered abominable in, in society if a woman is unfaithful and goes searching for another man. Such habits will deter a woman from being elevated to the heavenly planets and the results of such habits are very degrading. A married woman should not search for a paramour for this is not sanctioned by the Vedic principles of life. If you think that you are very much attra attached to me and you want my association, I, adv I advise you not to personally try to enjoy me. It is better for you to go home, simply talk about me and think of me, and by this process of constantly remembering me and chanting my names, you will surely be elevated to the spiritual platform. There is no need to stand near me. Please, go home. The instruction given herein by the Supreme Personality of Godhead to the gopis was not at all sarcastic. Such instructions should be taken very seriously by all honest women. The chastity of women is specifically stressed herein by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, this principle should be followed by any serious woman who wants to be elevated to a higher status of life. Krishna is the center of all affection for all living creatures. When this affection is developed for Krishna, one surpasses and transcends all Vedic injunctions. This was possible for the gopis because they saw Krishna face to face. This, this is not possible for any women in the conditioned state. Unfortunately, sometimes a rascal following the philosophy of monism or oneness very irresponsibly takes advantage of this rasalila to imitate the behavior of Krishna with the gopis, entice many innocent women and mislead them in the name of spiritual realization. As a warning, Lord Krishna has herein hinted that what was possible for the gopis is not possible for ordinary women. Although a woman can actually be elevated by advanced Krishna consciousness, 
she should not be enticed by an imposter who says that he is Krishna. She should concentrate her devotional activities in chanting about Krishna and meditating upon Krishna, as advised herein. One should not follow the men called sahajyas, the so-called devotees who take everything very lightly. When Krishna spoke in such a discouraging way to the gopis, they became very sad, for they thought that their desire to enjoy the, ras the rasa dance with Krishna would be frustrated. Thus they became full of anxiety. Out of great sadness, the gopis began to breathe very heavily. Instead of looking at Krishna face to face, they bowed their heads and looked at the ground and they began to draw various types of curved lines on the ground with their toes. They were shedding heavy tears and their cosmetic decorations were being washed from their faces. The water from their eyes mixed with the kumkum on their breasts and fell to the ground. They could not say anything to Krishna but simply stood there silently. By their silence they expressed that their hearts were grievously wounded. The gopis were not ordinary women. In essence, they were on an equal level with Krishna. They are his eternal associates. As it is confirmed in the Brahma Sangita, they are expansions of the pleasury potency of Krishna. And, his, and as, his, as his potency, they are not different from him. Although they were depressed by the words of Krishna, they did not like to use harsh words against him. Yet they wanted to rebuke Krishna for his unkind words, and therefore they began to speak in faltering voices. They did not like to use harsh words against Krishna because he was, because he was their dearmost, their heart and soul. The gopis had only Krishna within their hearts. They were completely surrendered in dedicated souls. Naturally, when they heard such unkind words, they tried to reply, but in the attempt, torrents of fears, tears fell from their eyes. Finally, they managed to speak. We're continuing with the reading of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We're two-thirds of the way through the chapter Number 29, the Rasa Dance Introduction. Krishna, they said, you are very cruel. You should not talk like that. We are full-fledged surrendered souls. Please accept us and don't talk in that cruel way. Of course, you are the Supreme Personality of God and can do whatever you like, but it is not worthy of your position to treat us in such a cruel way. We have come to you leaving everything behind just to take shelter of your lotus feet. We know that you are completely independent and can do whatever you like, but we request you, don't reject us. We are your devotees. You should accept us as Lord Narayana accepts his devotees. There are many devotees of Lord Narayana who worship him for salvation and he awards them salvation. Similarly, how can you reject us when we have no shelter? Similarly, how can you reject us when we have no shelter other than your lotus feet. Oh, dear Krishna, they continued, you are the supreme instructor. There is no doubt about it. 
your instructions to women to be faithful to their husbands and merciful to their children, to take care of their household affairs and to be obedient to the elder members of the family are surely just according to the tenets of the Shastras. But we know that one may perfectly observe all these instructions of the Shastras by keeping oneself under the protection of your lotus feet. Our husbands, friends, family members, and children are all dear and pleasing to us only because of your presence, for you are the super soul of all living creatures. Without your presence, one is worthless. When you leave the body, the body immediately dies, and according to the injunction of the Shastras, a dead body must immediately be thrown into a river or burned. Therefore, ultimately, you are the dearmost personality in this world. By placing our faith and love in you, personal, in your personality, we are assured of never being bereft of husband, friends, sons, or daughters. If a woman accepts you as the supreme husband, then she will never be bereft of her husband as in the bodily concept of life. If we accept you as our ultimate husband, then there is no question of being separated, divorced, or widowed. You are the eternal husband, eternal son, eternal friend, and eternal master, and one who enters into a relationship with you is eternally happy. Since you are the teacher of all religious principles, your lotus feet have to be worshipped first. Accordingly, the Shastras state, Acharya Upasana, the worship of your lotus feet is the first principle. Besides that, as stated in the Bhagavad Gita, you are the only enjoyer, you are the only proprietor, and you are the only friend. As such, we have come to you, leaving aside all so-called friends, society, and love, and now you have become our enjoyer. Let us be everlastingly enjoyed by you. Be our proprietor, for that is your natural claim, and be our supreme friend, for you are naturally so. Let us thus embrace you as the supreme beloved. Then the gopis told Lotus-eyed Krishna, Please do not discourage our long-cherished desires to have you as our husband. Any intelligent man who cares for his own self-interest reposes all his loving spirit in you. Persons who are simply misled by the external energy, who want to be satisfied by false concepts, try to enjoy themselves apart from you. The so-called husband, friend, son, daughter, father, and mother are all simply sources of material misery. No one is made happy in this material world by having a so-called father, mother, husband, son, daughter, and friend. Although the father and mother are expected to protect the children, there are many children who are suffering for want of food and shelter. There are many good physicians, but when a patient dies, no physician can revive him. There are many means of protection, but when one is doomed, none of the protective measures can help him. And without your protection, the so-called sources of protection simply become sources of continued distress. We therefore appeal to you, dear Lord of all lords, please do not kill our long-cherished desires to have you as our supreme husband. Dear Krishna, as women, we are certainly satisfied when our hearts are engaged in the activities of family affairs, but our hearts have already been stolen by you. We can no longer engage them in family affairs. Besides that, although you have repeatedly asked us to return home, and that is a very appropriate instruction, unfortunately we have been stunned, we have been stunned here. 
Our legs have no power to move a step from your lotus feet. Therefore, if even at the request, therefore, if even at your request we return home, what shall we do there? We have lost all our ability to act without you. Instead of engaging our hearts in family affairs as women, we have now developed a different type of lust, which is continually blazing in our hearts. Now we request you, dear Krishna, to extinguish that fire with your beautiful smile and the transcendental vibration emanating from <clears throat> your lips. If you do not agree to do us this favor, we shall certainly be burned in the fire of separation. In that condition, we shall simply think of you and your beautiful features and give up our bodies immediately. In that way, we think it will be possible for us to reside at your lotus feet in the next life. Dear Krishna, if you say that if we go home, our respective husbands will satisfy the lusty flame of our desire, we can only say that that is no longer possible. You have given us a chance to be enjoyed by you in the forest and have touched our breast once in the past, which we accepted as a blessing, as do the goddesses of fortune who are enjoyed in the Vaikuntha Lokas by you. Since we have tasted this transcendental enjoyment, we are no longer interested in going to anyone but you for the satisfaction of our lust. Dear Krishna, the lotus feet of the goddess of fortune are always worshipped by the demigods. Although she is always resting on your chest in the Vaikuntha planets, she underwent great austerity and penance to have some shelter at your lotus feet, which are always covered by tulsi leaves. Your lotus feet are the proper shelter of your servitors, and the goddess of fortune, instead of abiding on your chest, comes down and worships your lotus feet. We have now placed ourselves under the dust of your feet. Please do not reject us, for we are fully surrendered souls. <clears throat> Dear Krishna, <clears throat> Dear Krishna, you are known as Hari. You destroy all the miseries of all living entities specifically of those who have left their homes and family attachment and have completely taken to you. We have left our homes with the hope that we shall completely devote and dedicate our lives to your service. We are simply begging to be engaged as your servants. We do not wish to ask you to accept us as your wives. Simply accept us as your maidservants. Since you are the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and like to enjoy the Parakya Rasa and are famous as a transcendental woman hunter, we have come to satisfy your transcendental desires. We are also after our own satisfaction, for simply by looking at your smiling face, we have become very lusty. We have come before you decorated with all ornaments and dress, but until you embrace us, all our garments and beautiful features remain incomplete. You are the Supreme Person, and if you complete our dressing attempt as the Purusha Bhushana, or the male ornament, then all our desires and bodily decorations are complete. Dear Krishna, we have simply been captivated by seeing you with tilak and earrings, and by seeing your beautiful face covered with scattered hair, and bearing your extraordinary smile. Not only that, but we are also attracted by your arms, 
which always give assurance to the surrendered souls. And although we are also attracted by your chest, which is always embraced by the goddess of fortune, we do not wish to take her position. We shall simply be satisfied by being your maidservants. If you accuse us, however, of encouraging prostitution, then we can only ask, where is that woman within these three worlds who is not captivated by your beauty and the rhythmic songs vibrated by your transcendental flute? Within these three worlds, there is no distinction between men and women in relation to you because both men and women belong to the marginal potency or prakriti. No one is actually the enjoyer or the male. Everyone is meant to be enjoyed by you. There is no woman within these three worlds who cannot but deviate from her path of chastity once she is attracted but to you. Because your beauty is so sublime that not only men and women but also cows, birds, beasts, and even fr trees, fruits and flowers, everyone and everything become enchanted and what to speak of ourselves. It is, however, definitely decided that as Lord Vishnu is always protecting the demigods from the onslaught of demons, so you have also invented in Vrindavan just to give the residents protection from all kinds of distress. O oh, dear friend of the distressed, kindly place your hand on our burning breasts as well as on our heads, because we have surrendered unto you as your eternal maidservants. If you think, however, that your lotus-like palms might be burned to ashes if placed on our burning breasts, let us assure you that your palms will feel pleasure instead of pain, as the lotus flower, although very delicate and soft, enjoys the scorching heat of the sun. Upon hearing the anxious plea of the gopis, the Supreme Personality of Godhead smiled, and being very kind to the gopis, the Lord, although self-sufficient, began to embrace them and kiss them as they desired. When Krishna smiled, looked at the faces of the gopis, the beauty of their faces became a hundred times enhanced. When he was enjoying with them, in their midst, he appeared like the full moon, surrounded by millions of shining stars. Thus, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, surrounded by hundreds of gopis, and decorated with the flower garland of many colors, began to wander within the Vrindavan forest, sometimes singing to himself and sometimes singing with the gopis. In this way, the Lord and the gopis reached the cool, sandy bank of the Yamuna, where, the, where there were li lilies and lotus flowers. In such a transcendental atmosphere, the gopis and Krishna began to enjoy one another. While they were walking on the bank of the Yamuna, Krishna would sometimes put his arms around a gopi's head, breast or waist. Pinching one another and joking and looking at one another, they enjoyed. When Krishna touched the bodies of the gopis, their lust to embrace him increased. They all enjoyed these pastimes. Thus the gopis were blessed with all mercy by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for they enjoyed his company without a tinge of mundane sex life. The gopis, however, soon began, began to feel very proud, thinking themselves to be the most fortunate women in the universe, 
due to being favored by the company of Krishna. Lord Krishna, who was known as Keshava, could immediately understand their pride caused by their great fortune of enjoying him personally, and in order to show them his causeless mercy and to curb their false pride, he immediately disappeared from the scene, exhibiting his opulence of renunciation. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is always full with six kinds of opulences. And this is an instance of the opulence of renunciation. This renunciation confirms Krishna's total non-attachment. He is always self-sufficient and is not dependent on anything. This is the platform on which his transcendental pastimes are enacted. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 29th chapter of Krishna, the Rasa Dance. Introduction. Any reflections? situation where this apparent darkness was full of, of mystical, uh, and again, it could be just me. Um, and the other, the other issue is that uh, what I find uh, magical is the fact, the whole Bhagavatam is magical, but the fact that uh, the author goes into such incredible detail, the capacity of observation, observing, even to the point where the gopis are doing with their toes, they're doing lines in the ground, how they move their head towards the forest. Then Krishna takes from there um, another, another conversation related to the fact that they are looking at the world. So this, this, this whole thing is extremely magical. Thank you. Anyone else? Add a reflection. Yes, please. Um, actually, a reflection from yesterday and today, but what was said yesterday in one of the chapters was confirmed again today. Yesterday in the uh, descriptions of the autumn season, there was a description how some people are satisfied by the breezes of uh, uh, autumn. The gopis weren't satisfied by that. They weren't made happy by that. And then in a, there was a sentence where it said, Since we have tasted the transcendental enjoyment, we are no longer interested in going to anyone but you for the satisfaction of our lust. So I was just appreciating you know, how the only thing that gives true satisfaction to the gopis is the association and the love of Krishna and giving pleasure to Krishna as well, which is what this one. <clears throat> nice. What else can become? Here, more uh, about it. On that specific point, I'd like to do a little more research before answering it because it's. It's really an esoteric point because it has yeah. more to do with the uh, existential situation of the soul. Yeah. 
Yeah, wait, wait, just for now, I'll comment about the analysis of the gopis from Mr. Goswami's Ujula Nilamani, in which he mentions two main categories, the Nityasiddhas, which he calls Gopikanya, gopis, and then the Sadhanasiddhas, and then he breaks the Sadhanasiddha uh, group down to two categories, one that belongs those that belong to a special group and those that don't belong to a special group. And from those in a special group, there's the Shruti Charis, the personified Vedas, and the Rishi Charis, the sages who saw Sri Ram. And these are notes from 10, 29, 9 through 11. The Rishi Charis who fully manifested Purvarag before puberty had Krishna's direct association all their remaining reactions were burned up and they were enjoyed in purely spiritual bodies by him. They could not be stopped by their husbands, quote-unquote husbands, when Krishna called them. The gopis who did not have the good fortune to associate with Nitya Siddha and other advanced gopis before puberty and thereby developed poor Varaga entered the company of their husbands and had children. Through association, a short time later, they also developed poor Varaga and transcendental bodies to be enjoyed by Krishna. Mm. Held back by their husbands, they came close to dying by not being able to go to Krishna when he first called them. Intolerable separation burned away all their impious karma. They realized his embrace by meditating on him, exhausting their piety. Purified, they were sent out by Yogamaya to be with Krishna on another night. And the third point, the Nitya Siddhas are mentioned in the Brahma Samhita 537, the Gotamiya Tantra, the 18 syllable mantra, and the 10 uh, and the 10 syllable mantra. And regarding the Parshadas, who are, you know, the Nitya Siddhas, I mean, from one side, throughout his Prabhupada's books, he generally talks about the way in which those who are nityabhadas, who through sadhana or through kripa become nityasiddhas, mm. especially in several purports. One of them is his mm. summary of Nartam Das Thakur's song. He says that those who are engaged in the Krishna consciousness movement mm. are also nityasiddhas. Yeah. And in other places, He's, and that he said, although the, the associates of Lord Chaitanya were all Nitya Siddhas, he said one should not consider that those in the modern day who are engaged in the Sankirtan movement, um, should, he said, you shouldn't think they're also not Nitya Siddhas. They are. Um, I mean, there are instances like that. And also he says that there's... Um, no distinction. Once be, one becomes a, a nitya siddha, whether one becomes a nitya siddha through sadhana or kripa, Prabhupada's famous statement, siddha is siddha. Yes. There's, there's not a distinction after that. Interestingly also, just as on the side, in discussing the uh, perfection of Prahlad Maharaj, he's, Prabhupada quotes from uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur and says that he was part sadhana siddha and part nitya siddha. So the, the um, ways of nitya siddhas, sadhana siddhas, kripa siddhas, nitya bhadas 
is um, varied, you know, the descriptions. But I'll, I'll do a little more research about that particular question. Uh, we just read in our daily readings of Shiva um, Prabhupada's books, these chapters, not, yeah, 29, 30, and 31. And there's one purport in there that's, that, that takes that point that you were analyzing and takes it a little bit further. Uh, and it's Vishwanath Trikabritaku who's saying that those gopis who were uh, not yet completely purified at, because they had children by their husbands, they were not completely purified. So they stayed at home and they meditated in Krishna. And some of them, they meditated in him so completely that the material part of their bodies became spiritualized. In other words, he said their bodies were partly material and partly spiritual. I mean, I don't know. It's inconceivable. That's what it said by Vishwanath. And then what, they, what, what happened was Krishna actually came there where they were staying locked in their rooms and physically embraced them in their hearts. And by that embrace, they became completely purified. And they were the ones that were sent out uh, on a later, on a different night, to be actually be with Krishna physically. And then it says, Vishnu says, that those gopis who were, who came to that position, they were protected from that point on from being touched by any other man. And they appeared to be like mad women. They, they, they could no longer take care of their children, they could no longer, you know, anything. Their bodies looked such a way they weren't so attractive anymore and they were free to, to go and be with Krishna and practically live in the forest and be with Krishna wherever they want. There's a question online yeah. from Rati Manjari. Don't tell me, Rati Manjari. Has, she always has these esoteric questions that are impossible to answer. Go ahead, Rati. So her question is, um, I have a question. The gopis wanted to serve Krishna as their supreme husband. I have heard that sometimes Srila Prabhupada... I have a question. The gopis wanted to serve Krishna as their supreme husband. I have heard that sometimes Srila Prabhupada also encouraged, instructed his late disciples to take Krishna as their eternal husband. How should we women understand this? Is this a specific instruction of Srila Prabhupada to certain disciples, or is this a general instruction? And yes, how should we practice this instruction? Go ahead, Maharaj. <laughs> I deserve this one, right? Well, first and most important point, <clears throat> if you remember, in the verses, the, the, the gopis said, we don't want you to accept us as uh, wives. Yeah? We want you to accept us as your maidservants. So it's very, very dangerous for a woman to think that she can eternally become the wife of Krishna 
and then somehow or other adjust her external behavior on this plane with this gross body, that should never be done. That's a warning Srila Prabhupada gave, it's a warning that Bhakti Sandit Saraswati Thakur gave, and every other Acharya actually in our line. We are not to imitate with the gross body and think that we can change our external behavior and act like we're, you know, Krishna's wives or something like that. But becoming the maidservant of Krishna in that conjugal rasa, in this body, as long as we're in this mature world, should be, externally we should stay, as Rupa Goswami describes, we should stay as neophytes, we should act as neophytes. And then if, if that's actually our relationship, which has to be confirmed from within our hearts by Krishna, by the process of what Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur described to be incidental hearing. In other words, if you hear the Bhagavatam all the way through, again and again and again and again and again, for the rest of your life, you will hear at different parts of the Bhagavatam the glories of Vrindavan Leela, Krishna's activities, and even to give you an example, when, when Bhishma left his body, the last thought he had was he glorified uh, Krishna's relationship with the gopis and then declared him to be the real Brahmachari, even though Bhishma Dev was famous as the most famous Brahmachari practically. Uh, so in that way, when you go through the Bhagavatam, we're taught to be attached to Krishna in all of his forms, in all of his activities, but still, periodically, in the third chap first canto, second canto, third canto, and then finally in the tenth canto, we hear uh, parts of Krishna's past times. And if by the process of purification, by proper execution of the regulator principles, of sadhana bhakti, vaidhi bhakti purifies us to the point we can come to bhaganuga bhakti. But externally, this is all in the category of sadhana bhakti. Rupa Goswami describes advancement in devotional life as three, sadhana bhakti, bhava bhakti, and prema bhakti. So the raganuga stage is in the category of sadhana bhakti, it's devotional service in practice. So we should keep ourselves externally as neophytes. We should feel ourselves as neophytes. And we should keep serving and keep hearing until, as Srila Prabhupada describes in the fourth chapter uh, of the Adi Lila, Chaitanya Charitamrita, 34th verse, then when a special and natural appreciation for a particular pastime of Krishna dawns on us, really, not pretend, not just in our mind, but really, then that will give an indication of our relationship with Krishna. Then we can cultivate that from within our hearts, but at the same time, act externally like neophytes. So the answer to your question is, you don't have to do anything about that, you know, becoming the, you know, the wife of Krishna in this body, at this time, in this place. We read, uh, one paragraph says, the conclusion is that if one somehow or other becomes attached to 
to Krishna or attracted to him, either because of his qualities of beauty, opulence, fame, strength, renunciation, or knowledge, through affection or friendship, or even through lust, anger, or fear, then one's salvation and freedom from material contamination are assured. Uh, I had a question about anger and uh, this uh, anger or fear, they, they seem to be negative emotions. So my question was, do they come from love? Can they come from love or result in love later? Or how does, how does this really work in connection with Krishna? Shishupal really hated Krishna and from the time of his babyhood when he started to speak his baby talk was all blasphemy of Krishna and at the Rajasuya Yagya Krishna allowed him a hundred blasphemies before he would take care of him and this is made uh, there's a big deal made of this in seventh canto because this question about whether Krishna is partial or impartial comes up. And there's a famous verse there that Shukadeva Goswami speaks about the ways of um, using one's emotions or not using them, or that just that by one's natural emotions towards Krishna, whether it be out of fear or hatred or anger, Kamakrota Bayat Snedhat. All of these emotions, if they're connected to Krishna, then because of that connection, one becomes purified because Krishna is the supreme pure. An exception is mentioned in that chapter or in that section of the Bhagavatam about Vena. As Vena, although he hated God, he didn't um, put his hatred directly towards Krishna. He just said there's no God. So he didn't get any benefit. It wasn't, it's not that if you hate or you have anger uh, and you don't believe in God, you're an atheist, then somehow or other you get benefit. In fact, the author, or not the author, but Shukadeva Goswami says, uh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't have inimical towards feelings about God, but if you do and you direct them towards Krishna, then because Krishna's the supreme pure, uh, he purifies you. In the case of Shishupal, who's mentioned in that canto, what happened was, he was blaspheming away as he was so envious of Krishna. And then when Krishna then enacted his Sudarsan Chakra to throw it Shushupal, there was a split second yeah. before the disc hit him and chopped his head off that he thought, oh, Krishna's very beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and within that second, it was less than a second, it was just a, a fraction that he... Um, was able to attain salvation and purification. So the point made throughout that whole section of the Bhagavatam is that all of these emotions when connected to Krishna, uh, because Krishna is the supreme pure, they purify one. And that they may come from um, material. One of the stories Prabhupada tells in that regard is about a thief who hears about Krishna in the forest of Vrindavan. He's in the big city as the thief. And then he thinks, well, I heard about this boy. He's wandering in the forest there, and he's got jewels all over him. 
why don't I go there and I'll steal them. So Prabhupada tells the story about how the man thief comes into Vrindavan and he's looking everywhere for Krishna. He finally finds him walking around and he sees he has all these jewels. So he strikes up a conversation and tries to uh, you know, convince him to give his, his jewels. And then Krishna says, no, I can't do that. My mother wouldn't like it. And in the process of coming to Vrindavan, thinking he's going to steal the jewels from Krishna, then interacting with Krishna, he gave up his desire to steal and he became a devotee, a great devotee. So all these ways that the, the normally abominable kinds of emotions are directed towards Krishna, are connected to him somehow or other, then the person becomes purified. I got to get one more. You know, sometimes <clears throat> personalities on the level of Narada Muni, they give poetic understandings. Like he glorifies uh, the intensity of the love of per persons who have anger toward Krishna or hate Krishna, like Lakshishabha. It's not. To, it's not meant to mean that we should have that. You know. Uh, feeling, but it meant, it's meant to mean we should have the same intensity. Our love for Krishna should be so intense. That's a poetic way of saying it. That sometimes the devotees take that literally, and they think it's okay, and then they become confused. Well, that means is it? Does that mean that Shushupal loved Krishna more than than you know the Bopi or something like that? So it's a very very important point to to realize that when Narada Muni glorifies the intensity or, or glorifies the love of the of the Kamsa, for instance. I think it's in that section. That if only I could have, you know, as much love of Krishna as hate for it. It's poetic understanding. Just to 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 understand the intensity of the feeling and to, to, to know that our love for Krishna has to be that intense. And that brings us to the lunch break. Thanks for joining us for the morning session of the reading of Krishna book. We're going to take it up again, Krishna willing.